morning with a, a keen awareness of your call in our lives to be the people you want us to be. We thank you for the, the uh, uh, clarity of scripture as it presents uh, that call to us as we read it and take it into our beings. May it shape uh, everything we do and say. We thank you for the, the ones who are here today. There are always uh, matters in our lives. Uh, there are times when we're traveling or away or times we're dealing with loved ones who are going through difficult moments. And we appreciate so much, Lord, the grace and love that uh, flows uh, throughout uh, this class and the history of that, that, uh, that emboldens that and strengthens that. We, uh, we think for a moment, uh, Lord, of the uh, tragedy that happened yesterday morning in that Jewish synagogue and, and uh, our, our minds are numbed sometimes by the hate and evil we encounter. And as, uh, as these names were just announced a, a short time ago, Lord, we pray for each one of those families. We ask that your mercy would be in their lives and reflected so clearly. May they sense uh, your love and care, and may, uh, their, uh, may the healing that they need uh, begin already. We thank you, Lord, for this day and for the opportunity that we have again to be together, to worship you and to study your word. Pray that you be with our teacher, Phil. We love and appreciate him, and thank you for his ministry to us on an ongoing basis, Lord. Bless and strengthen him this day and give him clarity of thought. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Come in, come in. I think there was a dedication service downstairs. I, I didn't. They didn't announce it in the service I was in, so I didn't know that. So. Oh. Oh, and he's walking in right now. This is really bad. I, it's my time. He's coming in. I need to exit. I, I would love to say it's good to see you. It's a double-minded man this morning, though. <laughs> if I'd only known. <laughs> there, uh, it's Flashback Sunday. Um, 
I'm sure somebody will mention this later, but I was before class started, I was looking through the photo album albums back there where some of your younger selves appear. <laughs> and uh, it was a beautiful thing. Uh, some of them have years attached to them. Somebody's done a very good job, I think it's Elaine, um, writing down people's names and documenting it. So it might be hard for you to deny that it's actually you. Because uh, I think she wrote it down like, like really recent when it happened. And so uh, it's a lot of fun. Thank you, Elaine, for doing that. And Banji's got some back there as well. So, And I think uh, Tom's looking for additions. Uh, Tom's putting together, Tom Terry's putting together an archive. So uh, yeah, that was fun. I didn't get a chance to pour over it, but enough to uh, sort of imagine just a little bit uh, what your life might have been back uh, decades ago. Decades ago. Back, back when you were the Virgil Anderson young adult class. <laughs> so, you still are. You still are. Um, I don't, I'm not in every class at Muncie, but uh, it's hard to imagine there's very many classes more lively than this one. Uh, yeah, you're you're amazing. So someone noted last week, um, I think it was Beth Ledbetter when she was talking about our Christmas thing, that uh, I haven't given you very many shower thoughts lately. And for, for those of you, for, if this is your first time, yeah, I apologize for what that might have conjured. Um, <laughs> Shower thoughts have been my way over the last six or seven years of trying uh, to say honest things that are hard. And you've given me permission to say things that I think in the shower that I wouldn't say otherwise. And um, I've been grateful for that. I've been grateful for the grace that you granted me, um, trusting that uh, I really do want for all of us what God wants for all of us, right? Which is, as Dave's prayer began, to, to be the people God's called us to be. And um, Ryan, uh, in the journey service today, was talking uh, about dreaming big and dreaming God-sized dreams. And the truth of the matter is, is that what God wants for us is bigger, more amazing, more breathtaking than what we want for ourselves. And uh, trying to live into God's vision for us is not easy. Because um, sometimes we can uh, settle for something less than what God wants for us. And God's called us to be uh, a kind of living, breathing, embodied witness to who God is and what God's about in the world. Um, and that requires us to live in ways and following the way of Jesus. Um, that will often, we just have to be honest, will often put us out of step um, with the world around us. Not because we're trying to be out of step but we're, with the world, but we're trying to be in step with who God's called us to be. And uh, that's a challenge for all of us. Um, it pushes different ones of us in different ways. It, uh, 
because we're all in different places, we're different people. And um, so, again, if, if, I, if I'd known what today was going to look like, I might have planned something different. But here you go, I'm just trusting that God, this is what I do every week, right? I, I trust that God will do something with our time together. And uh, if I didn't believe uh, God could do more uh, than what I'm planning, I would have given up being a teacher a long time ago. Um, the only reason I have the courage to walk into a classroom every day is because I'm trusting that God can do something more than what I'm capable of doing. Um, otherwise, I just, I really think I, I could have been a decent plumber. Um, and I would at least have had the satisfaction at the end of the day of knowing that I'd done something to help somebody, right? I fixed a toilet today. Someone's happy for my existence today. Um, and so, so I appreciate your grace. So today, with all that saying, today is one long shower thought, right? And uh, it's not just from this morning, um, but I'm pretty sure when I get my water bill next month, it's going to be a lot more than it was the month before. Um, and I'm doing something a little different today. Um, we've been wrestling through the social principles, if this is your first time. We've been uh, working our way through the social principles. We're about halfway. Uh, for those of you who are wondering if we're going to take as long on the second half as we did the first half, the answer is no. Um, somebody asked me this morning, are we going to, when are we going to be done? And um, I said, by, by Christmas. And they said, how about Advent? <laughs> and uh, yeah, I understand. But we are. And um, this is, we've been doing this for a lot of reasons. Um, partly because uh, a lot of us didn't grow up as United Methodists, and so we didn't know there was a thing called the social principles. Uh, some of you confess that you have been lifelong uh, Methodists, and you also didn't know there was a thing called the social principles. And there were some of you who said, I knew there was something called the social principles, I just didn't know what they were, or why we, we would care. And so, um, so we've been wrestling with this document um, and trying to sort through what do we make of this um, and how do we think about it? How do we see it at its best as a way of trying to encourage us to, in very concrete ways, more concrete than we'd like, a lot of us, right? Concrete ways of thinking about, particularly, what's it mean to love our neighbor? Because we are social creatures. We live in the world in a social space. And what's it actually mean? It's one thing for me to tell you every week, now go out and love your neighbor as yourself. Um, and that's good advice. Um, but the United Methodists have taken the enormous risk of trying to say, and it might need to look like this. Right? It might need to look like this. And um, that's a risky thing. That's a risky thing. And um, there might be days where we wish the United Methodist Church hadn't taken that risk. Um, but they have. And, um, and so to, and that brings lots of things. I mean, we, we've found ourselves living in all kinds of tension um, these last several weeks. And so today, what I want to do, which is really something different, and it's one of those things, 
Um, part of the reason it's a shower thought for several months is because I've been trying to wrestle with, do, do I want to talk about this? Because I'm just trying to figure out if it's going to be helpful. So here's one of these things where um, I hope in the next 30 minutes what I'm saying will be helpful. But if it isn't, um, it's just 30 minutes of your life. Okay? Um, and I know most of you have never wasted 30 minutes in your life before, but it's high time if you haven't, right? And so, but again, I'm trusting that maybe in the, in the messiness of this, because this is, uh, I, I like to be, uh, I, I like to be a careful thinker, but I, I'm not sure I'm, uh, and a clear thinker, but I'm not sure I've got clarity. But I thought if I wait until I get clarity, um, I might not ever think about this. So here's the, here's the deal. What we've been wrestling with is um, one week we tried to have a conversation when we were talking about the meeting in February saying, you know, why is there a meeting at all? Why are we talking about this all? Because part of the church doesn't think there needs to be any conversation because scripture is clear. And the other, again, it's not simple to say there's just two halves, but the, the other half says there doesn't need to be a conversation because the scripture is clear also. <laughs> um, and, and we seem incapable of seeing the other side's uh, point of view. And so what we tried that morning to do in a very short period of time, wasn't adequate, was just say, can we even try to understand what those who see this differently, can we even understand why they hold the views they do? Can we even create a space to try to understand? And so today I'm, I'm stepping back and we're, we're not going to look at, I'm, I'm assuming a lot of scripture today. I'm assuming that we're called to love God, love our neighbor, everything we've talked about, that we're all created in the image of God. I'm assuming all of that. But when we talked about the quadrilateral, you know, one of the things that we say we throw in the hopper as part of our reflection is is human reason and so today i want to i want to ask the question um can we learn anything from this group of thinkers people who uh who study human beings can we learn anything from from social psychology which might seem like a weird place to go um, but the reason I'm bringing this up because I have actually been helped by this in the last year or two, trying to understand why people who think very differently than me, why they're still decent, respectable, beautiful people. And that's getting harder and harder to admit in our society. And it's getting harder and harder to admit in our church. And I'm grieved like you are, that it becomes harder and harder, it seems like, to acknowledge that a person who thinks very, very differently than me has good reasons for thinking like why they do, and also is a person of goodwill and decency. It seems like more and more, if someone thinks differently than I do, we feel the necessity not just to disagree with them, but to demonize and make them, they're somehow like sub-moral. <laughs> and, and so social psychology has some insights on this. 
I think. And it's helped me sort of create the space to kind of slow down and not kind of get sucked into that. And so I'm hoping that at the end of the day that you'll, you'll catch some of this. And if not, again, it's 30 minutes. Um, and in a perfect world, you know, I'd have PowerPoint slides, but this room just doesn't lend itself to that very well. So all I got is words, right? Just words. I'm hoping it's enough. So here, here's the deal. Social psychologists tell, tell us um, that human beings, um, we seem to come um, pre-programmed for certain kinds of things that we just sort of naturally do. We can't help it. Uh, and one of the primary things we do is human beings love to uh, create teams, right? We love to create teams. It seems to be part of our uh, survival skills. It's like we figured out pretty early that, you know, teams survive better than non-teams. Like, we need each other. And so we have this, we have this real deep desire to create, like, uses. Like people who that we're connected with. And we don't seem to, we can't seem to help it. We just really like to create teams. And so we create teams, and then um, we find ourselves fighting against the thems. That seems pretty deep inside of us, too. That part of what makes us us is realizing that not everybody's us, right? I mean, it's hard to have an us if you think there aren't thems. And so you don't find, you don't find hardly any cultures that don't have us's and thems. It just seems like it's a deeply human thing. And the other thing is that psych social psychologists tell us is that once you've created us and thems, what it means to be us and this is pretty universal, makes you almost blind to lots of things. There's a certain blindness that comes from being in us, things that you no longer see. That's, that's the part that's hard. And, and again, this, this desire for uses and thems, I mean, it's so deep. I mean, even when you don't have obvious us's and them's, you create them because it's, it, it's fun, right? It's fun to have us's and them's. I mean, think about the multi-billion dollar industry of professional sports, right? I mean, it, it's a rare person out there. I mean, if you care about sports at all, some of you don't care about sports at all, you know, you're lucky. Um, but, but for those of you, those of you who do, hi. hi. Oh, don't be sorry. Come in. This is the Mission Possible group, and we are here to trick or treat for our mission project of raising money for the animal shelter. I hope y'all got the notice on that last week. Um, the kids take the animal shelter as their mission project. And we are just asking for change. We are trying to teach these kiddos that you're never too young to start uh, serving Jesus and working towards mission projects. So um, I'm going to send them out. Here we go. Dig deep, folks. <laughs> Thank you so much.
circulating until they get what they want. I don't think I don't think one trip around the room's enough. We got we got 15 more minutes. This group has deep pockets. I gave it the office. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. Thank you guys from all the ways that you support our Muncie kids through your offerings and all the great programs that we do. Um, as you see, we've got a good, big group of kids. So thank you for letting us share, share them with you guys a little bit this morning. Thank you for saving us from ourselves. <laughs> Anybody else out there? <laughs> yeah. Us is the right there. Where were you? And so where I was is blindness. Yeah. And that blindness, I mean I mean, have you ever met someone who had deep, deep convictions about the way they saw the world who didn't think they were right. I mean, how do you explain that? Well, one way is to say, they're just stupid. <laughs> or, they're immoral. Yeah. Or, they're subhuman. Or, they're, I mean, you, you can think of another, all kinds of dehumanizing ways of saying that. Or you could say, well, you know, they're a Cleveland Browns fan. <laughs> right? They're part of another team that, I mean, right? I mean, most people care about sports. I mean, they got a team they follow. Why? Because we like to divide ourselves into teams. And fortunately, like, not a lot, well, I'm getting, this is dangerous. I'm sorry to say not a lot hangs on that, but maybe it does. <laughs> um, 
But it's interesting that, I mean, we have this, this need to create teams. And there's something powerful about that. And, you know, when we think, and we don't really think, it gives us a chance to cooperate as human beings. I mean, social, one social psychologist that I've learned a lot from um, started thinking about the wonders of the world. And he says, you know, you can stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon and think, this is just staggering. Like, how was this ever made? And he said, actually, it's really simple. Just a lot of time and water. So what you really need to think about, the wonder of the world, is take something like the United States of America that has 327 million people who on our best days can see ourselves as part of a common project. That's, that's, a, that's incredible. 327 million people coordinated enough to at least on our best days. I, and it's, at least recently, it's feel like it's been a while since we've had one of our best days, right? But the sad part is, this is me, not social psychology. When do we feel most united? When you have a common enemy, right? People say we were never more united than after 9-11. Because then all of a sudden it became clear like who the them was. And that the us is, we were, that whatever we thought about each other as being, we're us and you're them, it's like that didn't matter anymore because we now we had a common enemy. So whatever you make about that, it's a really human thing, this us is and them, and it often blinds you to, I mean, yeah, it's easy when you're playing the World Series and you're a diehard Red Sox fan or a Dodgers fan to forget like, you're both playing baseball, right? Um, and it's, it's, it's easy to forget um, when, you know, you're a Democrat or a Republican or a Libertarian or an Independent to think about, you know, we're trying to do the same thing. We may have different ideas about, like, how to help this thing called the United States thrive. But at the end of the day, my neighbor who thinks about these things different is a well-meaning person who cares about the things I care about more than the differences. And might I say, you know, the vision, this big vision that God has for us um, is to remind us of something bigger than 327 million people. Right, that I, that I have, by being a follower of Jesus, you by being a follower of Jesus, um, it's, it's transnational, right? My loyalty to the body of Christ, your loyalty to the body of Christ doesn't stop at the border between the United States and Canada 
or the border between the United States and Mexico, or Europe, or subcontinent, right? I mean, this is a big vision. And, and so it's, it's a challenging thing. So how do we make sense of the fact that different people see the world in such a way they are absolutely sure they're right, which as all of us do, and yet I have the person next to me who thinks pretty differently, seems to have a different way of, a different set of convictions, but also is sure that they're right, and I can tell they're a decent, well-meaning person. They're not. You know, they're, they're not subhuman. They're not. How do we make sense of that? Well, just, a, again, there's not enough time to do this, but just, just to let you know, there's some interesting insights out there. Um, one of the things that social psychology tells us is that in addition to this deep affinity for teams, is that we have other things that we, that we seem to be almost pre-programmed to care about, and any culture is going to like spill it out in different ways. But just like the, the easiest analogy is to think of human language, um, it seems like human beings are born with the capacity to learn language. No one has to teach you how to learn a language and then teach you English. Human beings seem pre-programmed to learn language, and if you grow up in the United States, you learn English. You grow up in you know, Spain, you learn Spanish, right? Um, and so we seem to have the capacity for these things, and then it gets actuated in a certain kind of place, right? And it seems to be certain kinds of things, uh, certain kind of virtues that we seem capable of caring about, and it seem to be universal. So for example, uh, here, here are several. The first one that seems to be the most universal is what we could call um, harm and care. In other words, human beings uh, seem to have a deep emotional reaction when we see someone being harmed. Right? Just think about, I mean, I was just sick yesterday. Just sick when I pulled up the news page and, and, I, and I don't know these people. You don't know them either. Right? Um, but I was just sick. And I think you were too. Now what's that? Right? What is that? And, and the desire to care, right, which is the other side of that. I mean, this, the, we have this, this compassion. Um, again, it looks different. It doesn't look identical. But it seems like most human beings have the capacity to to somehow be deeply disturbed by harm and to want to care. To want to care. Um, that's a beautiful thing. Right? Um, and that, that seems to be like, if you could pick like the, the most universal, that seems to be like the, it seems very, very deep in human beings across. Um, so that's one. Another one is we have this deep, uh, notion of fairness, right? Uh, most people, most places, have a deep notion about fairness, and uh, you know what we call sometimes called justice, right? And it's hard to find people who don't care about fairness, 
It just seems pretty deep. Now again, the way it gets spelled out, what counts for being fair, uh, to whom do you owe fairness? I mean, all those things are open questions, but it's not as though you've run up against people who just don't care at all about fairness. Almost everybody does. Right? Particularly, I mean, all you have to do to kind of see it is like treat somebody unfair. It's like all of a sudden they care about fairness. So it, it doesn't seem like there's anybody out there that just doesn't care about fairness. And this is kind of a deep issue, like what's, what's reciprocal? And, and you'll notice that, you know, there, I'm hoping, I'm assuming, I'm not having to connect all the dots for you, that a lot of these are things for which Christians care about, right? I mean, care, um, that we shouldn't harm each other, that we should care for each other, um, that we should try to be fair to one another. What's that look like? Um, no, reciprocity, like what's due to somebody. Um, and again, this gets, this, this is uh, revealed in scripture. And we, we could spell all that out. And just right now, just trying to say there are these things. Third thing we've already alluded to, we don't have to say very much, is this sort of in-group loyalty, right? Um, most human beings have, we create kind of in-groups, us's and them's, and the expectation is that you should be loyal to your in-group um, and have a kind of, um, yeah, a, a deep loyalty to that. A uh, fourth one um, has to do uh, with something that's, uh, that's a little different, but it has to do with uh, some type of recognition of, of authority. Um, again, this gets spelled out differently in different cultures, like what what, what's the basis for the authority, right? It can be positional, um, it, can be, uh, it can be moral authority, right? Um, the, the different kinds of authority, but most, most groups have some structure of authority, right? And it, and it looks different, um, of course, but it's very, it's, it's very hard to have uh, groups of people, um, whether it's a family, or whether it's a classroom, or whether it's a business, or whether it, I mean, you just think about different sizes of groups, but almost all of them have some notion of authority, right? And, and there's some expectation that that will be respected in some way, because that's part of what keeps the group together. But again, that, that authority uh, can be exercised lots of different ways. It doesn't have to be like top-down authoritarian power, right? When you think about somebody like, I mean, the Dalai Lama has enormous authority, but not because he like carries a big stick, right? So I'm just trying to remind you that when we hear the word authority, we often think of it a certain way, but authority can come in lots of different ways. But most groups have some type of authority. And then the last one, and, and these are in sort of decreasing breadth as far as finding exactly how strong they are in different cultures. The last one is the hardest one to explain, the, the fifth one. But it has something to do around uh, purity and sanctity. Things in your call that um, the word holiness, sanctity in scripture means set apart, something that 
distinguishes you, set, set something apart, like a day. This, this day is holy, the Sabbath. You're setting it apart for a special thing. Um, and you remember all the food laws um, that the Jewish people had because they believed that that's part of what set them apart is that they didn't eat certain kinds of things. So, and you might say, well, what's, that's hard for us to imagine. Um, well, there's all kinds of, um, I mean, well, one way of thinking about it, social psychologists tell us, is like what triggers disgust in a people? Because disgust reflex is often uh, the other side of this, right? It's what, dis and that can be lots of different things. Um, it, and here, in, in some cultures, uh, like ours, it's around questions of sexuality, right? Um, but it's not just that. I mean, there's a, 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 a growing one, interestingly, in our 21st century America, is, is food, actually, again. And here you think about, um, I mean, the easy example is to think about when you've traveled someplace where they eat things that you're pretty sure you shouldn't eat. Right? And you know, I don't know if you've had this situation before where you've, somebody's gone to enormous expense to, um, to prepare a, a, a beautiful feast for you and you know like, this is probably like a month worth of their income. And you have this moment when you have to decide, do I want to know what I'm eating or not? <laughs> On the one hand, I do because I'm not accustomed to putting things in my body that I don't know what they are. On the other hand, I also know that if I find out what it is, I might not be able to swallow. Or may not be able to keep it down. Right? But that's just what, that's the easy example. The other example, I mean, just think about how much purity there is around questions of food in the United States right now. Right? People intensely aware of what they're putting in their bodies. Right? Um, so that's also a kind of interesting way that this, this gets played out. It gets played out lots of different ways. Now here's, all that is, here, here's the thing, if you only remember one thing. Here's the thing that helps you, maybe. And, and to do this, I'm going to have to simplify to the extreme, which is always dangerous. But here's what a lot of research shows, and this is across the globe. This is not just in the United States. And to do this, I'm going to have to use, I, I hate labels, but I'm going to use them just because it, it will help a little bit, I hope. Okay? So I'm going to use the, use the language of liberal and conservative. And here we're thinking primarily of social conservatives, social liberals. Okay? That language can be used lots of different ways. But here's what social psychology has shown across cultures. And here, what I'm hoping you can remember, and I, I want to be able to hold this up, but you know we have this soundboard up here. I don't know if you've ever seen one of these things. Lots of them have little levers, and it mixes sounds different. You know, you can control. If you have an audio soundboard, you've got levers, and you can move up and down. You can mix them. Have you ever seen one of those? We've got one up here. Like, I can turn myself down, and we can turn other mics up. So if we had five people talking, we could mix the different audios. And what we find out is, is that people who consider themselves uh, to be sort of social liberals, primarily, primarily function on the first two channels. 
harm and care, fairness, justice and fairness. Okay? Doesn't mean that they completely ignore the other three, but they those two those other three channels are not turned up nearly as high as harm and care, justice and fairness. Okay. Sort of classic conservatives, social conservatives, operate with all five channels. And depending on who you're talking to, it, it's it's not clear. Like they can they can vary into their intensity. Um, but sometimes, I mean, the reason this is helpful to me is because you can take just about any issue where conservatives and so-called liberals disagree, and if you're really listening to what they're arguing about. One of them is arguing, often it's the case, that the, the conservatives are arguing about those last three channels. And, and the, the liberals are almost exclusively talking about the first two channels. Now it's not that the other two, and it's not that they don't recognize the other channels, it's just that they, they think that they sort of outweigh the other channels. And, and so, the way that gets played out generally is this. I mean, the, the great insight, the great insight and wisdom that the social uh, conservatives have is that order is enormously difficult to achieve, but it's also fragile. Right? Order is really, really difficult to achieve, but it, it, it can be it can be destroyed, right? I mean, I think about when my children were loved blocks when they were kids. We spent hours and hours on the floor building things with our kids with blocks, and to build something that was as high. I mean, they would love to say, "Can we build something as tall as you are?" And that took a lot of care. I mean, you had to be really careful about it. And it was really, really easy to knock down. Right? It didn't take much to knock it down. And to go back to our example, I mean, it's, it's not easy to order a society of 327 million people. Right? It's not. I mean, it, in, in some level, it's, it's a wonder of the world. It's astonishing that you can get 327 million people to coordinate about anything. I mean, I'm astonished most days when I drive to my office and I think, how is it possible that I trust most of the people to stay on their side of the road? <laughs> right? I mean, that, that's pretty crazy. And I can go anywhere in the country and sort of just assume that one little tiny thing. What would it be like if we didn't have that order? I mean, I don't know. I wouldn't. I, I wouldn't go to work, right? Um, so you begin to see. So that's that's the great insight. I mean, one of the great insights. There's more. That's one of the great insights of social. They're trying to protect the kind of security and order that people need to thrive. 
and they get worried when it looks like that's threatened. And so the insight from the other side, one of the insights from the other side, one of the most, the primary insights that's in tension with that is for all that order, it's still not ordered as well as it could be. Right? I mean, there are still places, go back to the first two channels, there are still places where people are being harmed. There are still places where things aren't fair. And so they want to change things to make them so there are fewer people being harmed and there's more fairness. That's not a bad thing. Just like it's not a bad thing to want the order. We need that. But the, the, the challenge is, of course, is when you change things, then there's always the worry about the order. Okay. Now, I hope I just sketched enough. I mean, one of the, if we had another half an hour, we would just walk through I mean, one of the things that is in the third section of the social principles is a short paragraph which has a number of further resolutions in the Book of Resolutions about immigration. What I'd like you to do for your assignment for this week is just think about the different sort of teams who are arguing about immigration. And I think you'll find it's primarily an argument about on one side care and fairness and on the other side it's about uh, security, right, authority, right, authority, um, laws, right, think about laws, um, and, and, and order, right, and so that doesn't, the whole point of this is that doesn't solve the problem. Social psychologists are not trying to solve the immigration problem. What they're trying to help us see and what I want you to see is that the people who are supposedly on opposing sides who are sure that the other side is not just wrong but they're dangerous that maybe, I mean, maybe we need to see that we have something to learn from each other here. But you can't learn, you can't hear what the other person's concerns are if you start with the assumption that they're somehow immoral. And, they, they, and they're somehow been demonized. And I, I want to say the same thing goes with the challenge the United Methodist Church is facing around sexuality. If you go back and think through that issue around this kind of matrix of five things and where people put the weight, I think you'll get maybe a little insight into why we're having a hard time hearing each other and learning from each other. Both sides have deep convictions and deep virtues and values. And at some level, we all recognize the other ones. But because we're on a particular team, we're blinded, I fear, just to acknowledging what the other, quote, side values. That if we could see, we would acknowledge that they care about what's good, too. 
They care about goods too. And what doesn't help the conversation is, is to say the other side doesn't care at all, right? It's not right, it's, it's not good for the liberal to say the conservatives have no compassion. And it's not good for the conservatives to say, and they don't care about order or law and order. No, that's not true. It has to do with how we're weighting things. And that, that's a conversation you can have, I think, if we just open up the space for it. So, yeah, I went 35 instead of 30. I apologize. <laughs> but I didn't think I could just stop in the middle of a... There are five things. Let's give you two. <laughs> so... That's what I've been thinking about in the shower, for what it's worth. And um, if, you're, if you find it helpful, great. If you don't, like I said, it was just 35 minutes of your time. Um, if, you, if it was really, really helpful, then I'll have a basket up here, and you can, and you can make a contribution uh, to my water bill. Let's pray. Gracious God, we sometimes uh, vastly underestimate uh, both the beauty of what it means to be a human being and the complexity of what it means to be a human being. And we so easily uh, minimize and pare down uh, those who think differently from us. We so easy to think of them as somehow less than us. And so we pray that you would give us eyes to see what our neighbors who think differently than we do. You would give us eyes to see something of what they see. And I pray that we would be uh, charitable people, people who, have, uh, who think the best of our neighbors, who don't start by thinking the worst of our neighbors. Uh, that these are neighbors created in the image of God who have uh, deep care and compassion and desire to see the world live and human beings thrive. And so may we, may you help us create the space uh, to have those conversations, to honor each other in the midst of our disagreements, and to ultimately remember that we're on the same team. And particularly I pray that for the United Methodist Church and for Muncie, uh, that we would not uh, be so uh, polarized that we forget uh, who you've called us to be together and that we might bear witness uh, to the world of what it's like to disagree and maybe disagree profoundly with each other but still honor each other, love each other and keep working for this vision you have for us <clears throat> to be a people who by their very life together bear witness to who you are and what you're about in the world. And so we pray this in the name of Jesus, who most fully taught us what it means to be fully human. Amen.